Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Early in my career, it's not, I feel like it's not just enough for you to be good at your job and to be very insular about your job. It's very important to, to network. It's very important to have those conversations and, and kind of speak into existence the things that you want. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. My name is Natalia Days, the Senior Director of Communications and Marketing at Women Who Code. And I am so excited to introduce today's guest. As a Black female executive in the gaming industry with over 15 years of experience, Anika Howard is creating new avenues and in innovating the industry, leveraging emerging technologies. As the president and CEO of Wonder Nation, a new leader in the gaming and entertainment industry, she only further hopes to continue to pave the way for the next generation of gaming leaders and to provide a platform to amplify diverse voices. Today, we'll be talking gaming, AI, and excelling as a Black woman leader in a male-dominated industry. Welcome, Anika. Thank you, Natalia. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm excited for this conversation. I am too. So let's get started. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and when you first got interested in gaming? So for me, um, a little bit about me. Uh, so I've been in the gaming industry, as you mentioned, for a long time. And um, my interests and passion have always been in this intersection of technology and creativity. And so I always say that the gaming industry found me uh, when I was in business school, a lot of my interests were more towards entertainment or animation or, and um, it, it just was by coincidence that I uh, got introduced to Harris Entertainment and through their um, MBA summer internship. And um, I just, you know, from that moment and from getting exposed to the different opportunities that I had and really understanding the breadth and um, of what was available in the gaming industry, um, it's something that um, I've been able to grow and um, flourish in. So like I said, and sometimes, you know, you have one path laid out, but kind of life throws you a curveball. And, uh, and it's been a very interesting and exciting uh, curveball and journey, I must say. For sure. Um just continuing down that path, can you tell us maybe about the curveballs or yeah. just about your journey in tech um, and how you've navigated that? No, um, absolutely. So when I started in gaming, especially, uh, it they didn't. It was very, very um, not diverse. I, I would would say. I remember uh, doing my initial internship and. In, um, rotation in New Orleans. And actually, that was great. That was a great introduction. I'm originally from New Orleans. Um, I was in a program called the President's Associate Program. Um, and it's now it's a pretty prestigious program at Caesars Entertainment. And they do a lot of recruiting from um, high potential MBA students and introduce them and give them a rotation through gaming and um, introduction into the industry um, with the with the uh, expectation of building leaders for the organization. And so when I started, uh, it was a very unique opportunity to get a bird's eye view of gaming, not just from a technology standpoint, but from a very core people and operation standpoint. So we went through went through a rotation where I learned every functional area within the casino. And at that time, I also had the opportunity to open a casino. So really, really um, um, unique opportunity to be exposed to so many different aspects of gaming at once and to understand very distinctly that I had a different way of looking at things. Um, as I looked at the operations, as I looked at the marketing, as I looked at all of these different things, um, a big thing that I was very acutely aware of are like here are ways that I can interject technology to make it different, to create a different experience, to layer on different um, elements. And so, um, and uh, things that appeared very, very obvious or second nature to me were things that that when I talked to other people about, they were like, no, I never thought about that. I never um, saw that. And so one of the first curveballs was doing my um, rotation early on in my career. I had the, because once again, it was a, a management rotation program and the casino that I was stationed, um, assigned to was a high profile project for the company. I had the opportunity 
to kind of meet the head of human resources and a lot of the board members. And a very, very basic conversation um, was something that really created the first pivot in my life. Um, so at that time, uh, her name is um, Marilyn, when now Spiegel, she was head of human resources. And we just had a really, um, you know, honest kind of casual conversation about what my vision was, what my interests were, kind of how I saw my career developing at the company. And within a week, I had an interview to um, for an opportunity in Las Vegas. And uh, and I really kind of think that conversation in that moment was a very pivotal point in my career because that really kind of put me on the path that I am in, in today. I went on the interview. I was um, re received the opportunity and I moved to Vegas and I became the first interactive employee for the company. And a big part of what I started was to build out the strategy and infrastructure and the vision for how um, interactive and how online um, kind of looked and evolved for the company. And that's an incredible opportunity when you think of Caesars Entertainment and now a billion dollar organization to have some to have that opportunity um, very closely out of um, business school to have that type of impact and exposure. So um, what I can really say is that throughout my career and throughout my opportunity, throughout those things, I've kind of been where, you know, preparation meets opportunity. And I've been at those critical points where I've been able to um, take advantage of some of those, those, those areas. Now, Vegas <laughs> for me was, uh, uh, it was a big culture shock. It was really big culture shock. I remember calling my mom after kind of, you know, maybe a week there. And I was like, there are no black people here. Like, like the, not even the cleaning staff is black. There is like literally no black people. I'm here by myself. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, from that time, I was able to start kind of building relationships and meeting people and finding my community there. But I remember kind of the initial reaction of going from New Orleans, where there was a, a kind of diversity in the city, kind of growing up in Washington, D.C., that at the time was Chocolate City, and then um, getting, um, and also, go, and, and, um, and then kind of coming into an environment where I was the only and probably the first <laughs> and um, different on so many different levels. And so it was a big adjustment for me from a cultural standpoint. Um, in terms of, you know, bracing myself and really reinforcing that I, you know, I was good enough, I belong there, and I could do, I could do the job that, that, that I was hired to do. I love that. I love that you also just speak about being, well, the first, the first Black woman and just yeah. the cultural experience um, that you had. Will mm -hmm. you speak a little bit more about the, the challenges that you face? We know being the first anything is difficult, yeah. but now yeah. you're the first Black woman um, in this position. What are some of the challenges that you had to overcome outside of just like experiencing the cultural um, yeah. maybe lack of diversity? Yeah, and I think it, it was like almost like a triple whammy because I was not just the first. I, I, I think in the management rotation program of the President's Associate, I I think I was probably the first um, African-American woman that was in the President's Associate Program, but also this was a new position and a new um, strategic position for direction for the company. So I was the first person in this specific role. And um, uh, I think it was at a time where now you think, you know, 20 you know years, you know, later that, uh, you know, it's a no brainer that technology is something that is important. But at that time, it was a very um, interesting dynamic in that um, a lot of the executives, a lot of the leaders were homegrown. There was this feeling that technology was not going to be something that would be embraced by, um, by um, gaming or by gaming customers. And you, like you hear all this now and you're like, really? <laughs> but at that time, it was a very big uphill value, battle. So um, I kind of joke, I remember getting sent to uh, uh, Lake Tahoe, sent to Lake Tahoe to meet with one of the, the gaming executives there. And um, I think the other, uh, the other kind of first was just my age because I, you know, I was of course of age, but I was still looked very young. 
And um, so you have this young Black person coming in to a seasoned person that's been in the company for 25 years. And a big part of it is, you know, who are you? Uh, I remember going into that very first meeting, very, you know, committed and dedicated. And it's like, we're going to make this happen. And um, I open the door and knock on the door and the gentleman, and I walk in and the gentleman kind of looks at me ups and down, very dismissive. And was like, who are you? <laughs> and um, and uh, very next question was like, and how old are you? I think I have ties older than you. And uh, it was one of those things where like, whoa, <laughs> okay. I um, So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start this over. So I leave and I knock on the door again. I was like, we're gonna try this again. And I reintroduced myself and he gets really, he, you know, he got a kick out of that and we, you know, got off to a good start from there. And so a big part of what I try to do is be, I think, empathetic and um, and just really open to say that one of these things are new um, and really reinforcing to myself that I know, um, I think for me, it helped that I was very, very passionate about it. And in some cases, I, you know, I was kind of tunnel vision. I think the areas that I struggled were sometimes in terms of and I think we all do this early on, even though kind of intuitively and I knew the right answer. In many cases, I didn't speak up as, as much. I didn't do, I wasn't as uh, big of an advocate for myself. And I do kind of, in or, or I think the other piece of it, and I think we all have a tendency to do this early in the career. Um, I did a network. I was really like, I'm going to be the best you do. I'm going to, no one's going to outwork me. I'm going to be kind of at my, with the first one in, last one out, you know, make sure all these things are perfect. And um, and the things that, you know, and the social things that gave me anxiety, I was I would pull away from. And so I think early in my career, I was very, very insular. And I just, you know, my focus was on, I wanted to make sure everything's perfect, everything was right. Um, I, you know, no one was gonna outwork me. Um, but what I didn't do, I think was invest up front early in those relationships. And I, that's a lesson that I learned. And I think one of the things that um, for me is that in many cases, you know, the work um, did, did, did get acknowledged, but you became like this expert where you were very critical in that specific role. And so it was harder for you to go, to move up easily because you've created, you've created a niche for yourself. And so I think um, as I kind of started to, mature and understand the power of, you know, creating that network and creating opportunities that were, uh, that were, you know, I guess, broader your perspective of who your network was and realizing that, um, quite frankly, like sometimes your direct supervisor and your deck line, the line isn't, isn't kind of clearly kind of where your opportunity is going to come from. And I've learned that time and time again, that many cases you're working and you're doing all, all those types of things and people are watching you and seeing you um, and kind of acknowledging kind of the passion that you have. Um, and they're not necessarily in your your uh, uh, in your initial orbit. And so I'll kind of stop there. I know I've kind of I touched on a lot of things, that, but um, for me, it, it was this kind of journey of self-realization. Um, it was great. I I'm very curious to know um, you talked a little bit about relationships. Um, and in tech, we know um, it's very difficult for women, especially women of color, to find mentorship. And with you being in a role that was designed for you with males all around you, how did you navigate um, finding mentorship or leaning into relationships that, um, like you said, maybe weren't apparent to be beneficial to you for your career? Yeah. And, and so I think it's it's interesting because it was trial and error. And so there was, and it was learning. Um, and uh, so I'm part of it. And so one of the people that I met early on was my project manager. So I had a project manager and, um, and he was essentially one of the people that, you know, um, was really kind of, we were jointly accountable for each other's success. And, um, and like, and he's like one of my dearest friends to this day. And so part of it is like, I think you, in many cases, you built relationships with people that, um, that you have that are like-minded, um, that have the same kind of direct um, interest. And in many cases, I um, mean, I've kind of, I think I, 
I remember, and this is a little bit cyborg, listening to an interview for Issa Rae, and she was talking about the same piece where, where a lot of her, a lot of people that were coming up at the same time, they became like that, that own insular network. And I think many times you're thinking of a mentor as someone that is, you know, you know, kind of your senior, but in many cases, your mentor can be your peer. And so I think initially I um, started having a lot of peer mentors. I kind of had a really good group of friends to this that, and actually when I'm thinking about that, wow, I'm thinking about it right now. And to this day, all of us are still very close. And we started in different areas and different departments. And, and, but, and what happened, it started socially that we all were, you know, young and kind of going and kind of different kind of race, ethnicity, et cetera, but kind of going through the same growing pains of trying to figure out life together and um, building the relationships that way. So my very first, I think, mentor relationships and support groups were with my peer group. And that was really important um, that just kind of happened organically because you find people that you connect with and you and you vibe with and, you, and then as you go on your career, um, those are the people that, um, that you know, as opportunities come up, that they are able to tell you, oh, did you know about this opportunity? Here are some things that, to happen. And so, in a big, big way, a lot of those opportunities were created, or kind of I found out about through kind of my peer network. I think um, then separately, uh, you kind of your business partners and the people that you uh, that that are my, that were my internal customers. I started have building relationships with. Um, with the people there, kind of the the gentleman that I mentioned <laughs> that um, that you know was initially kind of like you know I have ties older than you and who who is this person from corporate that that is now telling me the things I need to do? Um, kind of building that relationship, he became one of my biggest allies in terms of being able to work. Um, the the other piece of it is that because um, uh, that I was in kind of this president's associate program, I did have some, some mentor opportunities built in. And so I was able to build some of those relationships. But some of those things that come over time, um, the other thing that I was able to do that I was um, really excited about was that there were, there were um, I think at the time is the National Black MBA Association. And so uh, we, you know, kind of I petitioned and lobbied for uh, the HR team to, you know, go there and recruit. And so we were able to kind of, I built relationships through that process of as we were meeting other, uh, other members of the organization that were coming and helping support the, that effort. And um, some of the things that we were building, I started to be able to kind of do that just organically meeting and, and, and building and building kind of the network that way. But it was, you know, definitely over time and not something that happened right away. And it was something that was definitely trial and error period. I had people that I, you know, believed in or thought kind of were, you know, were kind of my advocates that I call it brain drain that kind of take your ideas and, and kind of present them as their own. I think, I think everyone has a story like that um, somewhere in their path. If you're, you're good and you've kind of, kind of navigated through this professional environment. I've had people that, um, I thought were advocating for me, but because I had silent advocates in the room, I kind of found out that that absolutely wasn't the case. And they were um, almost in terms of the opposite and and, and not kind of representing me in the, in the best light. And so a big part of that has been just, you know, a lot of trial and error and a lot of, uh, you know, trusting, but verifying kind of that that person has your back. And then, um, and then also not getting um, bitter or upset when kind of you run into someone that that doesn't. Um, I think the other piece of it is just also kind of understanding how to kind of shake it off and laugh at it. Sometimes, you know, I think we've all had the incidents. I've been in rooms where someone, you know, people have thought I was the assistant, or you know, have not acknowledged me until. Um, I kind of stand up and they realize I'm the person that's giving the presentation and they're like, oh, okay. Or um, so the, all those things have happened. And I think for me, I, I, my, my perspective is um, like, you might not know yet, but you will. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those things. Um, as you grew in leadership and took on more um, responsibility and 
experienced more success. How did you navigate um, success and and that growth in a male-dominated industry? Um, so I think there are a couple of things. Two, I thought, um, um, I think the biggest part for me was being the person I didn't have. And so a big part of what um, a lot of the things that I did were to make sure that um, as I built a team, I kind of created an infrastructure and a network that um, that would be supportive. And so one of the things that I'm most proud of are kind of, and not just the women, but the people that I have mentored. I remember at when I kind of created my first team um, and we had a, a team event and we were, we were putting on a, a, a kind of a workshop I'm someone joke, well, you've created a rainbow coalition. And I was really proud of that. And that's kind of a step with me because I was, I, you know, they, I kind of looked at the team um, and although it was somewhat intentional, um, I, they were all super bright, super smart. Um, we were highly functional, highly effective. And I wanted to create a model to show that you can have diversity and you can have a team and it can um, deliver the results that you want. And so I think from very, very early on, I think that's something that a lot of leaders are as you grow, you have a lot of times, I think you have a sense that, you know, I can't bring in other people of color or I can't bring in a diverse team or what are people going to think or that piece of it. And I never really had that, um, that inkling. I always kind of said, you know, I want to build, bring uh, kind of smart people in. I want to build a dynamic team. I want to kind of be the mentor that I didn't have. And, um, and I think one of the things that has helped me navigate is just kind of that consistent passion. And once again, kind of as um, I'm going in my career, that network initially that I talked to you about, uh, people that we came in at the same point are all growing at the same time. So now like I'm a CEO, but I have other CEOs that I can um, come to talk to and I have CFOs and I have CTOs and I have all these other people because we all grew up together and we all have the sense and they, we know each other at, almost at a cellular level and we can check each other when we need to and we you, they, they can have a conversation with me and um, everyone says you're fine and they're calling me saying what's going on what's what's going on and so I feel like that's something that I'm proud of because I did not know I was doing that in the beginning but that has been something that has been very, very significant. Having those people that, you know, although they're not experiencing the same thing you're doing, you have that ability to have some of those shared experiences that you can talk through and you can have some of those conversations with. And I think um, then I also professional organizations. And so I'm working with um, organization called Global Gaming Women, and it's been incredible in terms of, you know, just having a strong set of, um, women leaders and being able to bring and cultivate um, other women leaders, uh, working with a gentleman, um, his name is Alex Dixon. And we, you know, over the last three years, I would say have really made progress um, in bringing uh, African-American African Americans in gaming. That's uh, another organization um, into fruition and um, really using this as a way for uh, to connect uh, people of color across companies and across, uh, 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 you know, not just across companies, but across um, professional profiles and, uh, and in areas so they can all reach together. Because many times you're in a company or you're in a place and um, just because, you know, there could be a number of you dispersed, but if there's not a way for you to still kind of reach out and connect and have that opportunity to say, this is what I'm experiencing, can we talk about it? Um, you know, it's it's challenging. And so we wanted to create an organization to help facilitate that. So I think as I navigate through the the kind of kind of through kind of this male-dominated society, one of the things I just kind of feel like that it's more important and that I have been uh, an advocate of are, you know, how can I create connections? How can I um, kind of help facilitate some of those conversations? Because I know that in many cases it's not. A natural thing that if you're coming to the or coming into an industry or into a place up front that you know how to do, and so I know that if that was a challenge that I struggled with, like what do I need to do and how can I create an easier path for someone else? 
I really, really love just this emphasis on connection and relationships. Um, I think that's powerful in itself. Um, just the connection across organizations too, I think yeah, is really yeah. beautiful. Um, what advice would you give to diverse women, women of color who are looking to break into the gaming industry? Um, I would say um, one of the things that the gaming industry is like, although, you know, you still kind of look at it and it's, you know, a very um, male dominated industry at the top. One of the things that I liked about the industry is that it is a very much a show me industry. And so like you can, um, where, where your results in many cases, you know, creates your reputation. And so for me, I think there've been opportunities for me that have presented because of results that I've been able to do. And because, and also it's a relationship driven industry. And I think that's why I keep on bringing that up. And that's something that I did not know early on in my career. Early in my career, it's not, I feel like it's not just enough for you to be good at your job and to be very insular about your job. It's very important to, to network. It's very important to have those conversations and, and kind of speak into existence the things that you want. But it also is very important for you to be prepared. And I would say the prepared piece of it is as is, is most. And part of it is you know, doing informational interviews, doing your research, understanding um, one of the places with gaming is there's so much data. It's a data rich industry and you can learn so much. Um, there are lots of trade um, conferences and shows. Uh, um, there's um, Global Gaming Expo that's coming up in October. There are um, conferences for, you know, Indian gaming, um, uh, all of these types of areas. And so find one that kind of, that is a focus area for what you're interested in and join an organization, join, um, kind of attend a conference, even if it's just, you know, going into the exhibitor and talk and kind of build some of those relationships. In many cases, you just never know how um, some of those relationships uh, will shape what's going forward. Some of my most meaningful relationships have started like just with a conversation or um, with asking a question at a conference or with, um, with you know, just saying, hey, can we have lunch? I don't know you that well, but I would like to get to know you can grab lunch. And, and, and so some of those things too, when you, I think you realize that everyone is trying to figure out it too. And so in many cases, um, when you kind of reach out and you're open, um, it definitely helps. And I think, you know, there will always, there will always be the, the, you know, that kind of negativity in, in, in some instances, but I think part of what I've been able to do is um, to focus on those that are willing to help. And, um, and kind of with a recognition that I think most people kind of understand and see kind of uh, kind of some of the other stuff around um, and just be advocate, be, ad be advocate for others as well. And so for me, like I said, um, the relationship part has been um, a, a big piece of it uh, in, in addition to finding an area that you're passionate about. And I think beyond the relationship, because I'm passionate about technology, I'm passionate about this intersect intersectionality of uh, kind of how do you use it to make um, meaningful connections? How do you use technology to um, improve and enhance experiences? And what are the things that you can do to just level up and create new experiences? But like that, that that's a big driver and a passion point for me. And so I, I do feel like it's harder to do if you're just phoning it in and it's not something that you're completely passionate about. Uh, so I think, you know, for, for someone up and coming, I would say find your passion point and um, find those areas that are going to kind of make you feel like joy when you're coming in and, and doing the things that you're doing and then kind of make, you know, and take the chance on kind of building those connections. And in many cases, you know, a lot of people are kind of in their little worlds trying to figure it out too and appreciate when um, when you reach out and appreciate when you ask them about the things that they're, they're doing and genuinely show interest. I love that so much, especially that part about just finding joy in what you're doing. Cause we spend so much time at work mm -hmm. yeah. to work with, um, finding joy is, is definitely important. I want us to pivot cause I want to learn more about Wonder Nation. So can you tell us a little bit about Wonder Nation and the work that you do? No, absolutely. So I was very, um, humbled and, um, excited when, um, the, the tribe that I work for. So I'll take a little bit of a step back. So the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation is, 
um, based in Connecticut, uh, and they are the tribe that owns Foxwoods Resort Casino, and they were one of the original tribes to really uh, kind of lean into gaming as a way to build um, wealth and um, and generational, uh, uh, um, I don't know, kind of bringing wealth and kind of really building generational uh, opportunity for their tribe. And so, and this was now 30 years ago. And so at that time, uh, they were like one of the original, I think they had smaller casino and bingo houses, but uh, they were the first tribe to said, hey, no, we can do this bigger. We can create a Vegas style experience here in Connecticut, and we can create this opportunity um, for this community and for our tribe to, 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 to flourish. And as a result of that, uh, kind of, a uh, you know, billion dollar uh, tribal gaming industry was born. And so a lot of tribes kind of were kind of at the at the forefront in the beginning and this Mashantuck and Pequot tribal nation was one of them. Uh, so I initially joined uh, and moved to Connecticut as to, to lead Foxwoods to be their head of brand marketing and digital and to work a lot with a lot of the social casino gaming and um, and to help with a lot of the lobbying to get the the, legis the legislation approved to allow for expansion of gaming in the state of Connecticut. So fast forward to uh, the pandemic, which really changed everything for everyone. Um, it was a very, uh, you know, everything closed down. Um, you know, you saw kind of the you know, Vegas and kind of the, the tribe and Foxwoods was no different. And so after, you know, never closing its doors since it's open, um, I was part of the team that closed down the casino and um, really kept the lights on during the time of um, during kind of during that pandemic period in terms of communicating, um, using social media, using lots of different tools to keep players and team members connected. Um, but during that process, one of the things that became apparent was that the tribe and most, um, and most hospitality companies needed to find opportunities to diversify and how do you kind of grow and create opportunity beyond this physical casino, physical resort experience. And um, that was really the initial genesis of Wonder Nation. Uh, the tribal chairman and the tribal council kind of reached out and said, you know, we want to start thinking through like how um, as a nation do we create um, this next opportunity and how do we diversify and reduce our dependency on just kind of just this resort experience. And we have all of these other um, entities, but like we want to be able to kind of finally really lean into doing something in the interactive space. And so let's kind of work on what that plan, what vision can be. And um, they asked me to put something together and that was the genesis of how Wonder Nation was created. Um, so Wonder Nation, is an online gaming entertainment company. Uh, like I kind of mentioned before, it's focused on um, creating experiences beyond the physical casino space. Uh, and um, it's, you know, the, the primary revenue drivers are online gaming. And so in the state of Connecticut, uh, you know, after the pandemic, the tribe did successfully, um, uh, you know, with the, with, the, with the other tribe in the state, um, reach an agreement with the state of Connecticut that allows for online gaming and sports betting and retail sports betting in the state of Connecticut. And um, so the license for online gaming and online sports betting lies with Wonder Nation. Um, we partnered with them to um, and a market access partner to bring online gaming um, to Fox, you know, under the Foxwoods brand. And so that's kind of one part of it. The other part of it is social gaming. And when I say social gaming, social gaming uh, is like if you think of Candy Crush and Angry Birds and Farmville, but no more think of it kind of that same kind of methodology, but um, with more casino style gaming. And so looking at opportunities to be able to create this um, free to play game experience that um, allows uh, people that don't want to gamble real money to have that experience. And then um, the final kind of revenue, revenue driver that we're working on are professional services. And so in addition to having our own kind of B2C our kind of business to consumer products, we also have um, and, and are building a model 
that allows us to provide professional services to other tribes. And so Foxwoods, for example, is our client. We manage their social casino product on um, for them. And we're working to build that model to allow to extend that for, for, for other, uh, other casinos and other tribes. And so our vision is really to say, how do we expand beyond that, this physical experience? And so when we look at that, part of it is real money, part of it is social. And then the next part is like, what is the future? Um, we, I kind of mentioned augment reality. Um, we're also looking at opportunities um, in esports and the metaverse and really figuring out what are the ways that um, the Mashantuck and Peapot Tribal Nation can um, be and, and stay at the forefront of um, this space and um, create opportunities. The other piece that I'm really excited about is that um, one of our core missions is not just reimagining um, gaming entertainment, but amplifying diverse voices and creating a, a pipeline of tribal talent. So we've created um, lots of um, uh, social programs designed to do that. So we have a Wonder Nation apprentice program, but we have a wonderful um, opportunity to bring in a recent high school graduate to kind of go through um, the program and we have someone identified and these are all tribally focused programs uh, because of I know how important and how instrumental kind of the associate program was to me. We, we are kind of in the process of finalizing and recruiting for our Wonder Nation associate program which works, you know, if the, the model isn't broke, don't fix it. And the whole idea is to uh, create a rotation program through all of the different functional areas within Wonder Nation. So marketing, operations, finance, um, real money, gaming, social. And so really to create um, an opportunity for someone to have this full circle, well, um, well-rounded knowledge of gaming um, because I really do feel passionately that you know, when you understand the full ecosystem, you become, no matter if you kind of go into specialization, you become a much better um, kind of uh, specialist and much, much better executive because you understand kind of the impact of what your role has and kind of um, have, you have a more global vision of how everything comes together. Uh, we have a uh, uh, endowment that we've given the Master Tech and Peapot uh, Museum and Research Center. And a big part of that is once again, how do you layer on interactive and creative experiences, unique experiences into the storytelling of telling the tribe's history. And, um, and the final part um, are called Wonder Smart Labs, and which I'm super excited about because that's uh, how do you really uh, at a very young, early age, start getting um, children excited about technology, excited about creativity, excited about their culture, and creating curriculum and programs that allow them to, once again, you'll hear this from me a lot, this kind of intersection of technology and creative creativity, tap into that and kind of let them understand, like, here are some of the things that you can do, and you don't have to think in a linear fashion. You can think like <laughs> in a kaleidoscope so of things that you can do. And uh, so we're really excited about like um, of what um, the vision of Wonder Nation has been. And we've been, you know, we are going into year three and it's been very successful. We're revenue positive year one. We are um, kind of, we kind of crushed our um, financial goals in year two. We're in the process of going through our budgeting for year three and just really excited of um, what uh, what the future holds for us. There are some really exciting things happening <laughs> in Wonder Nation. Thank you for sharing yeah. um, the, the programming. I, my mind's kind of blown. Um, <laughs> I'd like to hear your thoughts on how you think AI will influence the future of gaming. Wow, I mean, I think we've already seen it already. I mean, I think um, the power of augmented reality and when you look at, um, and artificial intelligence, and you look at kind of kind of just the splash that Chat GPT has done. I think it's going to fundamentally change how we do and operate in many areas. And so we look at it. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll kind of I think I'll I'll talk I'll talk about three areas in particular. So from a marketing um, perspective, um, I think what we'll, what we've already seen in kind of testing is that you know you you see some of the 
AI-generated artwork. You see some of the AI-generated prompts for marketing messages. Um, it can, you know, there's so many things that it can streamline. Now, I think what it will do is create the need for a different type of marketer. And so you will find um, that you'll need to create people that are almost uh, educators for the AI kind of tool to help teach the AI to learn um, your organization's brand and kind of piece of it. But but imagine being able to kind of pull all of those things in and from either a customer service perspective, being able to have now a more natural language experience where um, you can have a more intimate relationship with your customer and you can kind of see a lot of um, it prompts along the way. So I think from both um, customer relationship management and also how we manage and build creative for, for kind of marketing campaigns, I see a big opportunity there. Um, from, uh, from analysis and analytics, um, we're also seeing it now when you look at Office 365 and some of the other products that are putting some of those prompts in. Um, whereas before you had to basically, you know, be a rocket science scientist to do some of the calculations or to understand and see some of the trends. Like once again, if done correctly, you know, you can ask and prompt for some of these questions, um, prompt, prompt AI for some of these questions, and um, they can zero in on things that will take an analyst or take, um, you know, a, you know, coder or um, a, a uh, uh, um, data scientist, you know, weeks and months to create <laughs> create the, the prompts and the the infrastructure to do that. Um, we see the same thing in terms of anti money money laundering and some of the other uh, compliance related pieces of it. I think it helps you identify issues earlier and earlier in the process. But I think the biggest thing it's going to do it makes us it has the potential to make us stronger marketers. And executives, because it it if the big if if done correctly and kind of putting those correct things into process into process allows you to focus more on the core business and it allows you to kind of really create a knowledge base um, and create an interface to access all of that information in a much easier fashion. One of the things that has always been a challenge with gaming is just this data, data rich industry, and you get so much information. And when you add online, because every transaction is is tracked and coded and and, and managed and tagged. And um, but that's a lot of information. So really filtering in what are the what's the information that can really be impactful or makes the difference or that you should be focusing on is something that um, I think lots of marketers and lots of executives are. You're swimming in all of this data and information. And AI, I feel feels like if done correctly, can create a easier way to access. Um, that information and that 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 you need to make decisions and to create experiences more efficiently and um, and allows you to to really kind of focus on 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 um, some of the areas that allow you to create better experiences. You've already shared so many exciting things, but I'm going to ask you this: What is the most exciting thing happening in gaming right now? Oh wow! Um, I I mean I think for me. I think it's this uh, this thing that I see that there's a shift, and I think I think every couple of years um, there are kind of fundamental shifts in the industry, and I feel that there's one coming now. And so what happens is that everyone comes together and decides that this is the way everything this is the best practice for how everything happens, and you create this sea of sameness of um, things that are very homogeneous and. Um, and what we're seeing now is that because of kind of post-COVID, because of the things that we're seeing in terms of how the market is shifting, uh, the 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 um, players and customers are saying we want something different, and it's pushing um, us to be more creative and to look at things differently. And and because the things that have existed and kind of worked so well in the past. Um, it's clear that that's not the right the way forward. So I excited because I think we are at this point where we're ripe for innovation. We're ripe for disruptors. We're ripe to 
um, to start to rethink how things have done traditionally. And I'm excited because I think what the gaming industry looks like today will be fundamentally different than from the way it looks five years ago. And I don't know if there's anyone necessarily has this clear, you know, kind of a uh, magic window into what that's going to be. So I think there's going to be a lot of disruption and we are seeing a lot of, you know, changes in the industry over even the last, you know, six, seven months. And I can, I can see that continuing. And so I like it because we're upstart and that means that um, we have the opportunity to definitely kind of become leaders in that space because right now it's anyone's game. That's awesome. Um, on a separate platform, you said living has become urgent. Um, can you say a little bit about that, what that means for you, what it can mean for Black women and other under underrepresented technologists who are interested in gaming? Yes. Um, I, I, like we just finished up a um, retreat and I was talking to one of our team members and, um, and the sentiment came up that I think a lot of people are feeling that, you know, COVID you know, kind of, it feels like it's stolen, it's stolen like so much in terms of years. Like you, like you kind of look back and you kind of go into that and you're thinking and you come back and it's like, you know, three years later and you're still kind of dealing with the impacts. And I think what has happened during that time is that people have realized um, a number of things. So one, with, with the great resignation, I think people realize that, you know, in many cases they were living in a fog and, um, and once some of those um, things and entanglements that you thought were so important were taken away, you realize that they were handcuffs as opposed to, um, uh, you know, comforts. And it really allowed you to kind of say, life is bigger than what I initially, the box I put it in. And so I think now that it's out of COVID, everyone has a sense of urgency because you've been, you've kind of you were in this fog and you were kind of separated and you kind of felt like your life was on pause. And now you're realizing there's because of so many different things that you always knew was were the truth. You always knew that, you know, life is precious. You always knew like, you know, and everything wasn't promised. You always knew that, you know, you never ha would have time for everything, but like to kind of now kind of physically see the manifestation of that and coming out of it, kind of realizing that, you know, you, you have this one life. And so you there, I feel like there's a sense of urgency to, to live it. And so for me, I think for black women and for, for, you know, people coming up, it's, it's really just kind of saying living with intention and, um, and, 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 you know, once again, you know, I, I could come back to kind of, kind of building that connection with the people that you care about, um, finding kind of that passion and joy that you have and um and and kind of doing and taking that trip that you want to take and really being intentional about the life that you live and i think that you know um what we've kind of saw now is that there's been this really nice reinvention that people have had and kind of understanding that you know maybe i don't want to have a nine to five job maybe i can um, companies are seeing that you know after covid you know, people have adjusted to being able to have a hybrid environment and you can still be effective. And so kind of, I think there's a sense of urgency to live, but also this, this idea that um, as you're, as you're kind of planning this life, you have the opportunity to create it the way you want to. And there's not a, a sense that you have to prescribe to this certain rule anymore. And so I think there's just a sense of urgency to um to kind of find that 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 place that makes you happy. So I don't know. I know that's kind of very <laughs> new agey, but that's how I feel. It's perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Um I want to ask, do you have a favorite video game or a favorite game right now that you're playing? So this is kind of interesting. So um I've, I've, they're, they're games that I'll play with my nieces and nephews. I'm like, they, you know, between Roblox and et cetera. But for me, I think um, I, um, because I'm in it so much, uh, I actually, I disconnect. So I, I write, I love photography. I, um, I'm a artist at heart. And so a lot of the things that I will do are kind of finding different things. I like testing and, 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 and playing and kind of figure things out. But right now I don't have a favorite. I kind of like the idea of 
of um, ironically um, disconnecting when I when I need to kind of find joy. And so I like photography does that for me. Knowing when to disconnect is important. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> um, do you have any final thoughts for us? And can you share ways for our audience to be able to connect with you across social? Oh, no, absolutely. So um, you can collect me on LinkedIn, um, usually for everything. My handle is WebDiva, W-E-B-D-I-V-A-H, like for <laughs> Diva with the H, because for Anika Howard. And um, so usually like from Instagram to um, TikTok, whatever, that's how you find me. Uh, uh, LinkedIn, I am active there. So um, if you kind of search Anika Howard, you can find me. Um, definitely connect with Wonder Nation uh, um, on kind of all the, the socials too. So if you type in Wonder Nation, it's Wonder without an E. So W-E-W-O-N-D-R Nation, um, as you can see <laughs> there, <laughs> whatever way, that, that way, um, that you can see uh, that you can that you can connect with us there. And like, we, we love to hear from you. Um, we, we, um, there, there are lots of opportunities for us to get connected. Um, Global Gaming Women and African Americans in Gaming um, are also ways to connect, but I'm um, always love to hear from people, always love to um, kind of learn uh, about new opportunities of, of how people are reimagining gaming. So uh, definitely you know, uh, that that's how to find me. Thank you so much, Anika. Thank you for being a pioneer for sharing your story. Um, it has truly been my pleasure. Um, and I want to thank all of our Women Who Code podcast audience for listening today. Thank you, Anika. Thank you, Talia. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.